You're listening to the Mental Money Podcast, the show that shows you how to master your mind to maximize your money. This show is for people who love to watch their bank accounts grow while shifting their relationship to money. Without further ado, let's get these insider insights from today's leading expert. Hi, this is Natalie. You are listening to the Mental Money Podcast. And today we have with us Wendy Barlin, who is going to be giving us a lot of insight on our series finale, talking about employment. Three four long weeks about this topic. Wendy, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome, Natalie. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you so much. So Wendy, we if for anybody who's already been listening to us for the last three weeks, they've already gotten like a wealth of information. We've covered like the employment from the perspective of hiring a virtual assistant, off onboarding, um, the importance of offloading help. We've also spoken to another accountant, but that was more like the technical pieces, right? I want you to kind of help us frame a little bit more of the more difficult topics. Someone told me that you could help us kind of just dissect some of those things, right? The meaty stuff. The meaty stuff. And unfortunately, I, I have to kind of just hit you right. Well, we got to start off the episode right hard, right? So let's talk about wages. Okay. Wendy, you're a, we're, you're an accountant. Yes, I'm a CPA. I've been doing this a long time. Yes. So you see that businesses fail, probably if if not, the number one reason because they're they have either cash flow issues, they're not capitalized, they don't have enough money coming in. And wages happen to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest, expense that businesses have to face. Yeah. So let's say, for example, you have um a small business, a mom and pop shop. Let's say you have Natalie Inc., right? Coming into business, Natalie Inc. brings in $100,000 a year, but her employment costs are 60% of that, yep. right? Is that is that abnormal? It's, it is it is normal in today's market because, because businesses are being pushed to pay more and pay more and pay more, but it's not a sustainable number. So if you think about it, if 60% of your money is going out to pay your people, that only leaves you 40. And with that 40, you've got to cover your overheads, your marketing, your taxes, and pay yourself. That's not a lot of money. So if you are in that place where that number is large, then what you want to do is either focus on growing revenue so that now the percentage drops or start to inch that down. Very often, maybe you don't need all those people. Maybe there's a way to pay them that's a little non-traditional so that it's not all wages. It's wages plus bonuses or wages plus profits. So I really, if anybody's coming in at 60%, that that hurts my stomach. Yeah, no, for sure. So here's the here's the consensus, right? So I've been so in this series because of the nature of the series, I've been digesting a lot of content online about like just kind of gauging people in the employment space. Right. Like I'm checking their temperature because I don't want to be tone deaf to what their needs are as well. Yeah. Because there is a very huge discrepancy between pay and yeah. not being able to have a livable wage and. Right. That's important too. And I'm not taking away from that at all because how can you live if you're working a job for 
startup, small business, corporation, whatever, and you can't get paid, but then your CEO, CFOs are getting like million dollar bonuses and live in mansions. You know what I'm saying? There's a huge disparity there. But for like the smaller business, like myself, who doesn't live in a mansion, I don't drive a Porsche. I don't, I don't, I'm not one of those people. And should I just not be in business? And this is now the business owner looking at this, right? Should I just not be in business or from the employee side, there's there's no other option for compensation. There is right. a push to be paid more. So how do you kind of like help heal some of that complex dynamic? So I'll tell you that not only am I a CPA and, and running an accounting firm, but I actually own a small business. My husband and I own an ice cream store together. Mm-hmm. And so I absolutely feel that every single month when I have to pay payroll, I know what that is as a small business owner to get down to the last dollar in the bank and I'm paying payroll. And some months my payroll is at 50% and it hurts my stomach. But I feel like as a business owner, if I cannot pay my people a fair wage and still pay myself, then I'm better off going to get a job. And here's why. The stress and the anxiety of running a business to make sure your people get paid and you take home nothing, you're not doing anything for yourself or for those people. Because the idea of you as a business owner is that you do make tons of money. And you know what you do with that money? You give back to your community. You hire more people. You pay taxes, if that makes you feel better. Um, But my intention is that every small business owner pays 25% of their revenue in wages and then uses what's left after taxes to do good work in their community and hire more people. Um, And that's kind of how I see my role, both as an advisor and as a small business owner, Mm -hmm. is I am offering people an opportunity to work but I have to take care of myself or else I cannot take care of them. Right. That's interesting. You know, because, okay, so let me bring a little bit more context. So I recently, so I apply for grants, right? And I also teach others how to like kind of go through the proposal process for like higher level funding. So upwards of like 10, 20, $30,000. I love should- it. Thank you. Usually requires like a grant in order, I mean, a proposal in order to submit for those kind of levels of funding. So I'm going through the training and like, I'm going through my own grant proposal. And I spoke with a lady who does like the training for it. So they have someone that sits and reviews your proposal based on what the reviewers, they know the reviewers are looking for, like a rubric. And in my proposal, I'm trying to, out of good business practice, I'm just like, well, I know how to eliminate some of my overhead as far as employees are concerned. So I propose integrating artificial intelligence and taking my overhead contractor cost from 20% to 22%, from 22% to 2%, right? Great, great decrease. She says no. She tells me that I actually need to make a case for why I need to keep that overhead expense and hire more people. Wow. Right. So so is that that's the basis of the grant though, right? It's not. Oh. The, the grant is to grow and create fun, like new projects to fund your project, whatever you're whatever you right. you're developing. So they want that part of that is to be able to hire new people. Yeah. And I'm just like, 
well, good business would say that I would be able to lower my expenses. And this is the problem, right? This is the place we sit in, in that the very programs that are supposed to be helping small business owners very often are not. Are not. You know, we've all been through those experiences with the SBA and all these other wonderful organizations that purport to be helping us. But I mean, I've had as many dealings as you probably have with banks and vendors and they say they're helping us, but are they really? Because yeah. I know that when I go to sleep at night on the night of the 14th and I've got to cover payroll on the 15th, only I feel that pain. Right. Not okay. some person filling in forms in some office. Right. Um, and, and so that is, that is, I guess, the unfortunate truth. And sometimes perhaps you do have to weigh up the value of getting those grants and, and getting that money to sustain your business with having to make some hard choices. Right. But I found that interesting because it you're making a case for hiring people. Right. And and it's interesting because you know, I'm sure you're you're aware, like some some of those funding sources, like they really are really strict about what you can actually use the funding for. Oh, and yes. only 25% of those funds could even be used towards like administrative assistance or administrative support. So they're not only regulating what can it can be used for, but they're saying that in order to be funded, now you have to integrate hiring people as part of that protocol. So it's interesting right. how like it, they're kind of forcing your hand in a weird way yeah. in order to get funded. So I don't see how with the growth of AI and jobs that are, somewhat easily replaced being replaced and not to say I'm not susceptible to it too. If if there's an AI tool that comes up that can do bottom line profiting, I'm out the window like, or, or can create offers as well as me. Yeah. Or if I can't continue to market myself as well as I right. do, then, you know, I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say like I'm the end all be all, but also just considering the facts, right. If, we don't, how do we heal kind of like this, again, kind of, kind of going back to that, how do we heal this middle ground where it's kind of like as a business owner, you really need to think about your, your profits. Right. But then you really need to think about your people. Right. And so I think that you can't have one without the other, unfortunately. And so I tend to agree with you, though, if there is an AI or a possibility to do things smarter, better, quicker, cheaper, I would go for that. Because the other thing is, you know, you have to remember, there's a lot of different jobs out there. And I got fired once. It was probably the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life at that moment. But what it did was it opened up a door for me that I never could have imagined would have opened on that day when this nasty man said to me, today's your last day. Um, I thought the world was going to end, but then the world actually opened for me. So sometimes when I have to let an employee or a team member go, as hard as that is, I also know that there are other opportunities in the world that may be waiting for them that are a better fit than I ever was. And so I don't see AI or smart business choices as necessarily getting rid of people or removing people. It's simply offering people another way for them to find their future. Um, and for us as business owners to make more profit that we can then use to give back to our communities and do good in the world. Right. How how do you feel about people treating profit as if it's like this big, bad, nasty, dirty word? 
It's sad, isn't it? Like, where did that come from? It's kind of like saying that rich people are bad. You know, I remember my father-in-law lives in Nebraska and he always said, oh, it's terrible, it's rich people. What, where does that come from? And so I don't see profit as bad. I see profit as great. Without profit, how am I going to educate my children? Without profit, how am I going to give back to my team? How am I going to invest in the charities in my neighborhood? So I think it's about what you do with the profit that determines the good, bad, or ugly of it, right? So someone who takes their profit and does good in the world, fantastic. Someone who takes their profit and makes poor choices or earns that profit at the detriment of other people, that's a different kind of profit in my mind. Right. And I, I feel like a lot of times they are talking to, they are speaking to like the bigger corporations that. Oh, yes. Yeah. That have obviously like clearly Ugh. harmed humanity or have gotten a leg up in Correct. order to get to that place. But when you're talking about it at this level. Right. There, there's nothing I can do but offer value in order to remain profitable. Like there's, I literally, there's no one I can harm. <laughs> like I'm not. Well, I would hope not. <laughs> I would hope yeah, not. Right. And, and profit is not easy. It's right. not easy for us because we don't have the buying power of the big companies. We don't right. have the legal teams of the, you know, the big companies. If someone doesn't pay us, we don't have a nice big legal team to sue you. We we have to deal with that as small business owners. So we fight every day for our profit um, and we earn it. And I feel like then our responsibility is if we are fortunate enough to make a healthy profit, we take care of ourselves and we take care of the people in our community. Right, for sure. So of of the profit that you make, how much would you say you comfortably feel should go towards hiring people and having like a staff, or like a successful support team? So I always set aside, uh, my, my rule of thumb is 25%, an extremely profitable business will use 25% of its revenue to pay for payroll. So for my little ice cream shop, I'm paying 50% of my revenue to mm. payroll, which means we make no money. Absolutely right. not. Now, if I can bring it up to closer to 25, I'm going to start making money. There is my difference right there. And so for most of us small business owners, 25% is the golden nugget. That's when you're doing really well. When you have to go above that, either because of where you live in the country or the cost of labor for the kind of work that you do, you have to go higher. You're eating into your profits, right? Every percentage you give to someone else is taking away from your profitability. Um, so it depends on your business. But most people, I tell them to shoot for 25%. So for your example, what would you do to kind of help create more of a margin? Would you raise your the price of your ice cream? Well, and I need more volume. We need more revenue because um, as my revenue goes up, if I keep the same people, my percentage is going to drop. So I need to focus on revenue. And that's why for every business, you have to look at that. That's a great point. Is it your pricing? Is it your volume of revenue? Or are your people not the right people? 
You know, sometimes I work with a, um, an ad agency, they build websites and they have 10 people working there. And I said, oh, gosh, what does everybody do there? It is not possible that you need 10 people in this little family owned business. Right. Um, but they see everyone as family and they, they, you know, they want them there, but they're not productive. So right. I think for everybody, it's a different answer. But if you can move towards that 25% by picking a lever that will make that happen, that's the mindset we're looking for. That's interesting because in my mind, I'm thinking if revenue of, okay. And I'm not trying to pick on your ice cream shop. I'm just thinking like, it could be anything like a retail. Uh, right? If, even if you like, let's say a retail store had like three employees and they were at the same um, ratio of expenses right. to income, then if they're trying to increase their revenue, that means more foot traffic right? More people coming in the door. Would that not also subsequently mean more assistance? So no, if- because today I can tell you right now, as we're sitting here today, I have two people in that store doing nothing because we've had very few customers today. Mm. So my team, as they are, can do a lot more volume. Oh, and, okay. and that's to your point of okay. my client who has 10 people sitting around doing not a whole lot. So yeah, we have capacity. That's a good point. But yeah. We okay. have a lot of capacity. And and if it were the case, that and that raises a good point. So if it were the case, Natalie, where my people were in fact maxed out at their current level, what would I do then? Then I have to look at internal processors and procedures to see, okay, team, and this doesn't come from the top down, right? This is a team. Team, how can we be more efficient? Because we don't have any more money to hire people. So how do we as a team, how are we going to be more efficient? And it's really been amazing to watch teams come up with solutions amongst themselves. Uh, Because even when we first started, we had someone on milkshakes and someone here and someone there. And then after a couple of Saturday nights, the team said, this doesn't make any sense. We're bumping elbows over here. How about I do this, you do that, and they figured out their streamline. And so I think when you reach the point that you cannot hire anymore, mm-hmm. then we need to become more efficient in how we work. How do you measure capacity? Like, how do you know that this number of people can accommodate this number of clients? And let's say they were maxed out, that that would be the max revenue. Right. So for service-based businesses um, or any kind of business where you can use a timesheet, Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of timesheets, not from a punitive point of view, as in like, you only did 16 hours. I used to work yeah. in places. But from a, a management point of view, okay. to see what kind of work everybody's doing and how much capacity they have. So I'm a big fan of timesheets wherever possible. But in a, um, in a, in an ice cream type business or in a retail environment, it's a little different. I think you really just have to look at it both from the dollar point of view and Mm. just be there and just see it and watch people work Mm. because I can see very clearly when I turn on those cameras, who's standing around, who's sweeping who and who's hustling up. There are some people that are always hustling. And then there's always one in the back of the room on their phone. Yeah. So that, you know, that's just, you've got to eyeball, but in a um, service-based business where you can use timesheets and you work on a, give people a budget, right? So Wendy, you're working on this web design today. You have six hours to design this website. That's it. That's how you manage your capacity. 
Got you. Okay, because that's that's interesting because I know like on the propo- some businesses in the proposal process, like for example, I had a company that I did like a walkthrough of her proposal with. She's trying to increase the capacity of her business by purchasing equipment. And we were talking about capacity. So if she were to get this equipment, she'd be able to go from like 20 bars of soap, for example, to like 320 bars of soap. Wow. Right. So that is, that would definitely, that those funds would definitely help yeah. her increase her capacity. But, but then I'm like, how many more people do you need to help sell that product? So how do you or kind package of- package it, right? Or package right. it or, or deal with the complaints. Because the other issue I see a lot, especially in the online space, where I have clients who sell coaching programs or whatever, all of a sudden, now you need someone to manage the complaints department. <laughs> Right. So how how do you know, like, or is there a way to kind of measure when to kind of have someone inserted into the business whenever, like, there's a growth in engagement with the business? Unfortunately, these are just the bumps in the road, right, that we as business owners have to manage. I mean, we all love to do business planning, and I always have a plan and a strategy. Somehow the world laughs at my planning and my (laughs) strategies. So I feel as though those are the bumps in the road that we have to learn to stomach and go, oh, whoops, my customer service person is it went from taking 20 calls a day to 100 calls a day. This isn't going to work. She's she's going to get overloaded. I need mm-hmm. another customer service person. Okay, now how am I going to pay for that? How am I going to figure yeah. that out? So I, I almost feel like some of those things can never be foreseen. Um, mm-hmm. And you really just have to learn to roll with the punches. And that's where having a team of people who help you, advisors that you can call and go, I have a problem today. What do you think? Um, yeah. can be extremely valuable so you're not home alone. Yeah, no, got you. Okay. So outside of that, like when we're thinking about paying people, thinking about wages, where should we start to look? Like, are we looking at like the market value of someone's job? Um, is this something that when we're looking or, or maybe is this when this is brought up in the interview process, is there a range that we should kind of stick to in our head? How does that right. work? So I, I always do my internet research, right? And I go and go, okay, if I'm hiring an office manager, what is someone in my part of the country or my city or town paying for an office manager? So I get a feel for within $10,000 where it is. Mm-hmm. And then I look at my business and I say, this is what I know I can afford. This is within my parameters of what I believe I can afford. And then I just have a personal preference to incentivize people because having been in business for 25 years and working with thousands of different businesses, the worst thing that you can ever do is feel as though you're doing someone a benefit by offering them a big fat salary. Because you know what happens? People get lazy. And I've had the best results where I offer someone a lower base, but with tangible and accountable plans to get them more money. So an example would be, you come to me and you say, I want to be your office manager and I want 60,000. And I tell you, Natalie, I I can't do 60,000. I'll do 40. And every quarter, we are going to have a list of job requirements that you are required to do dollars, hours, client responses, whatever the very tangible bullet points are. And every quarter, if you meet or exceed those goals, I will give you an extra $5,000. 
So that by the end of the year, you could absolutely make 60. But I'm not giving you 60 today and you promise me you're going to do a good job. I'm going to give you 40 today and you show me how you're going to do a good job. And the year before last, I paid one of my uh, tax preparers who worked with me 25% more than she even ever asked for on that basis because I started her with a low base salary and I made promises and commitments to her. She made promises, commitments to me. And when they were met, she got money. And we both won that way. You know, she yeah. and I didn't make her wait a whole year. I don't like it when people say, oh, if you work for 12 months, at the end of 12 months, you'll get, I don't want 12, I want my money now. <laughs> and so I like the idea of um, quarterly incentives where we both have skin in the game to show who we are. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Because every time I've hired someone and paid them what they wanted and stretched my own budget to do it because I believe they're the person and they make me all kinds of promises about what they're going to do. They're great for the first six months. Usually at around the six month mark, I start to see a drop off in productivity, in loyalty. In, and I start to think I'm overpaying. I'm overpaying. Yeah. This person made a promise that they're not giving me. And now I'm in a position. What am I going to do? I can't go and go, oh, I'm taking $10,000 off. I can't do that. Yeah. So I've had that happen to me several times over the years. And I've learned that that good feeling of giving you what you want. And we're all happy. And we're going to live happily ever after. It rarely lasts. What do you think that's a function of? I think it's me as a business owner wanting to believe that this person's going to solve my problem and make my life better. And I believe that the employee comes in with the best of intentions, mm -hmm. that they are going to step up and they are going to do this. And then life gets in the way, you know, maybe the job isn't as much fun as they thought it would be. Maybe the commute is harder than they thought it would be. I know that that's happened to me. Mm -hmm. um, I think none of us can tell. And that's why setting very clear parameters of what's expected, what's going to happen and how you make more money and how you get what you want when I get what I want um, puts us both in a better place, just like a marriage. Incentive-based paying, I like that. I like that, especially for like contractors. I also like that for W-2 employees as well, especially like for the inception of working with each other because- Absolutely. Yeah, because employee acquisition costs, yes. they're, they're usually so high. It's just a good way to kind of like- get your foot in the door without having to make a really huge financial commitment up front. Right. And that's definitely one piece we haven't really talked about too much, um, which I'm very glad you brought up. Cause I think that was the missing piece for me because like, even on TikTok, I watched this video and, and it's no slight to her. That's fine. It's really okay. If this is how she wants to live her life, it doesn't, it's no skin off my back because she's not working for me. But she was talking, the young lady was talking about how, you know, she only, works for companies because of the benefits that she receives, right? For example, she'll work at a steakhouse so that she can get steaks or she'll work at a, she'll work at, right. It's, it's actually quite genius really. Or she'll like work at like a retail store to get like discounts when she wants something or like, so she'll job hop. But I, as a business owner, I'm thinking like, dang, if someone only worked for me for their investment, or if, if someone only worked for me because of the perks that I offered, oh, I'm losing out on hundreds of dollars right. if not thousands of dollars every single time the employee decided to work with me if there was not some kind of like 
way to mitigate not getting what they wanted on the back end. So that is kind of like a way to kind of handle that because, <laughs> sorry, Wendy. <laughs> that is hysterical. I never thought about that. Like, that is kind of enterprising, I suppose. It is. Um, yeah. And, and, and then we just never know when people say yes and you think you found the right person and they put their own agenda. They, she sure did. She, she was, yeah, she gave several occasions, like she gave several examples of like different places that she worked and like different benefits that she went there for. And these benefits must've been somewhat immediate or kicked in somewhat like instantaneously because she wasn't, it didn't seem that she was there very long from the example that she gave. I don't, I couldn't really gauge the amount of time she had been there, but it's just, it's just, this is the mindset for some people, right? So Again, no shade to her, no slight to her, because again, she doesn't work for me, so it doesn't make a difference to me. Yeah, good for but, her for figuring out a system that works for her. Right, but that is a real thing, and if you're a small business, yeah. that can be oh. super costly right. really quickly. So, <laughs> I I'm definitely glad we kind of filled in that piece, um, as far as like understanding how to kind of inch those things in yeah. there and like kind of incentivize that bigger piece towards the end. Right. Uh, any other insights like that that you can think of just off the top of your head? I just be very clear with people and no matter what they're doing, put it in writing with a piece of paper. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a legal document that you spend thousands of dollars with a lawyer. I just literally get a word document and I say, I am hiring you. This is what your job is. This is what I'm going to pay you. This is this is how it's going to work if you want to leave. This is when you'll get paid. I, I just put it all on a Word document and send it to them and say, sign here. Because I've had many conversations with people and they hear one thing and I'm saying something different. And I find that it doesn't matter whether someone's earning $10 an hour or $100 an hour. Put it in writing, one piece of paper, what you understand the conversation to be and the commitment to be, and then for them to sign and agree that this is what we agreed to, because it's all fun and roses in the beginning, and then things go haywire if you don't have a piece of paper. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, Wendy, I'm having a moment. That's okay. (laughs) Payroll is serious. You know, you have a legal responsibility when you take someone on this payroll and you offer to pay them every two weeks or every week or whatever it is. I'm not talking about contractors. I'm talking about legitimate payroll where you are withholding income taxes and paying them over to the government on their behalf. That is extremely serious. And even in the case of bankruptcy, you are not absolved of not covering those payroll taxes. That is the one thing that stays with you for the rest of your life. So if you don't pay your income taxes, like your own income taxes on your income, you can negotiate that with the government. And sometimes it goes away. Yeah, payroll taxes, where you are responsible for the taxes for someone who worked for you, that never, ever goes away. And Mm -hmm. I've seen small businesses shut down by the government for not paying payroll taxes. So I really want people to know that it's serious. And when you take on that commitment to have team members and pay them as payroll, they do get paid first because you can't not pay them and you can't not pay their taxes on their behalf. It is extremely serious. And I I don't think enough people talk about that for business owners to understand what they're taking on when they take on payroll. Right. No, for sure. Yeah. Which is another reason why all of this is like, 
I wish, I really wish we were able to address, again, this is, this is meant for entrepreneurs. So I know this helped entrepreneurs, especially understanding like the, the depth of it and like how serious all of this is and like picking the right team member, how important that is. And all of these pieces that you really need to consider when hiring someone. But I really wish we spent a lot more time talking about like the relationship between the employee and employer, because that's all I could see when this was being unpacked. Like there's just so much damage done in that relationship, rightfully so, because employers, especially like even large corporations still, you know, they are still doing things that are harmful. There's, people that are working in these organizations that are misrepresenting them. And then, you know, it's not great to work there. There's mismanagement, there's micromanagement. And then you have like, uh, we've all been there. <laughs> all been we've there. all been there. Yeah. And then you still have like employees who are trying to game the system and like unemployment and like workers comp. And like, so this, this, this relationship is still very damaged. So I wish we had more time to talk about that, but maybe another time if it matters, but definitely, definitely wish we had more time. But um, what made you want to start an ice cream shop of all things? Well, that's kind of a crazy story. So we used to live in Los Angeles in California and we were, um, we loved this ice cream shop. And so when we moved out to Florida, my kids were like, oh, we're never going to get to have that again. And so my husband and I were like, we should do that. That's a really profitable business, you know. Ice cream is relatively cheap to buy, and a scoop is five bucks. So what a good business. And Mm -hmm. so we decided to open it here in Florida also because it's sunny all year long. So we thought, oh, what a great business. Little did I know how much hard work it was going to be. And so it's just been really interesting for me because I, for the most part, have always been on this side of the desk advising other business owners. And Mm. now I'm in it. (laughs) I'm in it with everybody else. And uh, it's really given me a different perspective. So the good and the bad. Okay. So as a small business owner, if you don't mind me asking you questions, maybe about the small business side what would you say is like maybe your biggest challenge as far as like that revenue piece is concerned with the ice cream shop? Well, the revenue side, I think, is um, visibility and people knowing who you are and where you are and what you do. So no different than the internet or anywhere else, any other kind of um, business, right? It's about being visible, people thinking of you, staying top of mind all the time is the challenge. But truthfully, I think by far our biggest challenge is the people side. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. The hiring, the managing, the dealing with, because people are human, you know, I need this day off. It's my boyfriend's birthday. Oh, I've got a stomach ache. I'm not coming in today. Oh, this goes on and on and on. And so for any small business owner, I think the biggest challenge is learning how to pick the right people and then learning how to manage people so that everybody steps up to be their best selves. Right. No, for sure. Okay. Now that makes sense. So as far as the services that you offer, how does this kind of fit into what we're, what does what you do fit into what we're talking about today? So I help business owners become more profitable. You know, there's a, we're all bombarded with internet marketing about growing revenue Mm -hmm. and we all spend so much time growing revenue, but it doesn't really matter about your revenue, does it? It matters what you keep. 
not yeah. what you bring in. Right. And so I step in when people reach the point of frustration because they're working so hard and they're making all this money. But at the end of the day, after expenses and taxes, there's nothing left. They're not yeah. getting to take the Bahamas vacation. They're not getting to buy the nice car. So that's when they reach out to me and they say, hey, Wendy, can you help me? I'm paying too much in taxes. I'm not profitable enough. Can you help me? Um, and so my website is wendybarland.com. There's a lot of free resources you can download, worksheets, videos. I've got all kinds of fun stuff to help you on there. And if you need help beyond that, then you reach out to me. Um, there is a contact us page on wendybarland.com. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Wendy. I think I think this was a great way to wrap up our series. We've We've been talking about this again for the last three weeks and so much information including your episode today has really been addressed and I know that if like an entrepreneur I know if an entrepreneur listens and they really take heed to everything that's been mentioned and you know unpack everything that we have talked about they will pick a team member who is or they'll get closer to picking team members who are good for their business and they'll do it in a way that is aligned and profitable for their business as well. How do you feel? I think it's a process and I don't think you're ever done. And I think as a business owner and as the leader of a business, we are continuing to learn how to do better, be better, choose smarter. I don't think, certainly for me, I've never seen anyone who goes, okay, I got it. I got my five perfect employees. I'm good. I'm, I'm just done, you know, because that's not life. People come, people go, people get married, people have babies. And so this is an ongoing conversation that I believe we have over and over and over again, as our yeah. business grows, as we grow, it's not a one and done. Yeah, no, for sure. The, I, I meant that from like a, this is where to start. Like the, if yes, you have no idea, exactly. no idea whatsoever. <clears throat> yeah. So Thank you again, Wendy. Thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. And thank you for helping us kind of like get that starting place, that learning journey. And if, if anyone else does have um, additional questions or need additional support, don't feel, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, I'll leave, be sure to leave your information in the show notes and whatever resources it is that you do offer, we'll be sure to leave those as well. Um, and then that's it for today. And this month, actually, next month, we'll be talking about money. Um, our other favorite topic our other favorite topic all the money 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 more money so catch you next month thank you so much for listening to the mental money podcast please go ahead and remember to subscribe but don't hoard all of this good information for yourself share this information with someone that you know could use it especially if they need a shift in their mindset or someone who would love to have more money so until we meet again remember like uncle snoop said Keep your mind on your money and your money on your mind.